0: I would like to reiterate that I really appreciate the music. Um, you guys who have been a part of it have done a fabulous job. And it has been a very worshipful semester. Yeah, it has been a, a fabulous way to not only have perhaps a respite from our classes, uh, but to be renewed and reinvigorated to. Uh, have enthusiasm in our studies, because what we're studying is not just information. We are studying the very God of the universe. We are observing his wonders and learning how better to participate in the skill of worship. Uh, So thank you very much for leading us in music and in worship that is music, but not Uh, the only form of worship that we do the rest of our life really even as Joe prayed this morning is worship and we did as Danny mentioned start off the semester uh, with the subject of disciplining ourselves for godliness to a certain extent when it came to syllabi you had no choice Um, but other aspects of our life uh, we have to work at sometimes they take attention (laughs) And I'm here to ask you the question, I suppose. Um, I get to be the good guy and the bad guy, the good guy in the sense that I'm the last chapel speaker of the semester, Uh, the bad guy that I remind us of everything that has gone before. (laughs) And I ask you the question, how has it gone? How has your discipline developed this semester, grown this semester, how are you Different. I don't know if you do this or not, but it, it's a wonderful time at Christmas time or New Year's. You don't have to make resolutions or anything like that. That's not necessarily in the Bible where you have to uh, come up with resolutions. But I do find that New Year's or Christmas or the break is a good time to reflect back and ask some questions. Questions about myself, especially. How am I different? Am I different? Have things improved? Have things worsened? Why? Where do I need to go this next year? Where do things need to change? Uh, Because we are constantly changing for the better or for the worse. How are we different now than perhaps when we began the semester? Where do we still need work? Discipline in 1 Timothy 4.7, where Paul tells Timothy to Discipline himself for the sake of godliness is an imperative. Discipline yourself for the sake of godliness. What is an imperative again? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Didn't mean to scare you, sorry. You were waving your hands, so I thought, yes. What is an imperative? Exactly, yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it is a command. It's an imperative that is meant to be done by Timothy. Paul is not letting him off the hook. Paul is not telling him, just meditate. He's saying, discipline, do something. Imperatives are understood differently, it seems, by different cultures and different generations. You see, in my generation and older, like uh, Dan's and Louise's generation, and especially Susan's generation, uh, (laughs) older generations, we perhaps had a tendency to take imperatives a certain way. In other words, the danger for our generation was to think that we could work for our salvation or to take the discipline too far and to think that we were earning something. That's my generation and older, that we would work for our salvation. I think your generation might take imperatives a little bit differently. Uh, It seems as though your generation is a generation of entitlement. and We've talked about this before, haven't we? A generation of entitlement. In other words, discipline should be given to me just for showing up. Now, this isn't meant as a criticism of you personally, but this seems to be true in our culture. And I think we could look at several examples, but we won't this morning. We don't have time. We don't say it that way, of course. We might say it in our Christian circles more like, well, the Spirit is accomplishing discipline in and through me as though I should not pursue it. I should just wait for it. Maybe it will happen if I just think about it enough or if I, I just show up, it will, it will be there. And we need to understand that glory is something God is perfecting through us, not something he just gives us for participating. In other words, we are, in a very real sense, a means to an end. Our lives are not ends in themselves. We don't deserve to be glorified. We don't deserve to participate in the process that God is doing for himself. Discipline is not conformity to law. We talked about this at the beginning of the semester, didn't we? Discipline is not conformity to the law. Rather, discipline is conformity to the life of Jesus. Jesus spent time in the scriptures, didn't he? How do we know that? Well, he knows the scripture really well. Think of his temptation in Matthew 4, Luke 4. What does he do in response to temptation? He quotes scripture. He doesn't say, hold on a minute, Satan. I I think I know where that's at in here. Let me unroll this scroll a little ways. No, he quoted it. He spent time in the scripture. Jesus knew the word of God. Jesus prayed often. He prayed fervently. We could look at several places where he went apart by himself to pray. We see at the very end of his life here on earth, just before the crucifixion, how is he spending his time? Matthew 26, he's in the garden praying. And he's praying so fervently that his sweat was like what? Drops of blood. Jesus prayed often, and he prayed fervently. Jesus was also persistent in devoting himself to the Father's will. Uh, Interesting passage. We probably just gloss over it because it's a a part of Luke's narrative. In other words, it's not in red in our Bibles. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Luke says something very interesting in Luke 9.51. He says that from from then on uh, till the time of Jesus' ascension, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Well, that doesn't sound like a very pertinent statement. Jesus is just going a certain direction. Jesus is just going to a certain town. Well, the point that Luke is making in Luke nine fifty one is that Jesus already knew that he was on the way to the cross. In fact, he had just told his disciples that in Luke 9, and he was undeterred, unswerving in his devotion to carry out the Father's will. And I like the way that Luke phrases that. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was persistent in devoting himself to the Father's will. In fact, the very existence of Jesus was a life of discipline. Now, it may seem strange to talk about discipline uh, in December. After all, aren't all sermons in December supposed to talk about Christmas? Uh, aren't they all supposed to be, <laughs> aren't we supposed to sing all Christmas songs, Joe, and, and always be uh, uh, talking about Christmas? And don't get me wrong, I love Christmas. I think that should be obvious, I hope. But uh, uh, <laughs> I love Christmas. Um, and in fact, this is really a Christmas message. When Paul reflects on the marvel of the Incarnation, I think he probably appreciated the shepherds and the angels and the wise men who eventually showed up at Mary and Joseph's house to bring Jesus gifts. But that's not why Paul worships the Son of God. Paul worships the Son of God due to Jesus' discipline. Do you remember how Paul talks about the incarnation? If you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is a a beautiful passage on precisely that, the incarnation of the Son of God. Philippians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, think about this question Which Jesus do we worship? Is it the cute, cuddly Jesus in the manger who is merely a baby on a cold winter night in Bethlehem? Or is it the creator of the universe who became human that he might establish his reign in the church and eventually over all the universe? Which Jesus? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Was he born a baby? By all means. Did he live a very human life and grow in wisdom and stature, as Luke says? By all means. But this is the Lord of the universe, who is in human flesh. Paul marvels at this, and and I'm going to read a few verses surrounding his uh, description of Jesus' incarnation Just so we get some of the incentive, too, of of why Paul is saying what he says about Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, he writes, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father so then my beloved just as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul is trying to give his audience, the Philippian audience, Incentive for considering others as more important than themselves. Not looking out for their own personal interests. And his best example, really his only example, is the Son of God himself. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or taken hold of. He existed in the form of God. What that means is he really was God. It doesn't mean that he was kind of like God or he was similar to God or that he really admired God. He, he really was God. He existed in the form of God. But he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself. And I want us to think about that concept for a moment. He emptied himself. That does not mean that he got rid of something. He was still God. But it does mean that he took some things on to himself. Things like becoming a bondservant, becoming a slave, things like becoming human. You see, humanity and being a servant, being a slave, weren't really compatible necessarily with being the king of the universe, the creator of all that was, all that is. Jesus had to embrace these. And in doing so, that meant that he had to not give something up, but forego the exercise of certain things. We understand this in in clear ways with regard to certain aspects of his person. Omnipresence. Jesus was no longer everywhere at once. Why? Because he became a finite being. He became a human. Yet he's still God. Emptied himself. And I would put to you this morning that that emptying didn't just happen at the Incarnation. Was it true at the Incarnation? By all means. In fact, it was so uh, incredible at the Incarnation that Jesus remembers in John 17, 5, that there was once a time where I had glory with you, Father, and I pray now that you would restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus remembers that glory. He realizes what he has to do, and the emptying that takes place in his lifetime, in his incarnation, is ongoing. It is constant. In other words, uh, let me uh, illustrate it this way. Uh, I am sure that Jesus didn't do this, but imagine Jesus getting up in the morning, every morning, and saying, Okay. I have to remember today, I'm, I really am God, but I'm in this human form. I need to submit myself to what the Father's will is, so I, I need to follow the Spirit. I can't exercise my own independent will. I, I need to live as a real human. Every day, Jesus submitted himself, in other words. Every day... Jesus humbled himself. And the reason we're talking about that today, at the close of a semester where we have focused on discipline, is I cannot even fathom the kind of discipline that took. The distance between the creator of the universe and a humble servant who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that distance is incredible to me. And it was incredible to Paul. It's why he marvels over it here. Why he pauses for a moment in his instruction to the Philippians and says, think about it, guys. Think about what Jesus did what he went through, and how much discipline that took for him to do that. Every day. Every day. Day in, day out, emptying himself. The king, in other words, has robed himself in pauper's clothes. Now, this much we can handle, that if Jesus just gave up uh, a little bit, you know, he became a human, we can handle that as long as he still came to reign and to establish a kingdom. You know, if he, we, can, we can deal with a superstar dressing in average clothes as long as he's still willing to be a superstar, as long as he'll still give me his autograph. But Jesus didn't just come to reign and to establish a kingdom. Not yet, at least. We're still waiting for that. Interestingly, the song, Joy to the World, is a song about Jesus' return. Please return. Come and reign on the earth. Joy to the world. her king has finally arrived. It's almost like we're pleading Jesus return. Any time would be wonderful. We can handle it as long as Jesus has still come to reign and establish a kingdom in which righteousness is the norm, but God doesn't stop here. The Son must humble himself. Notice that Jesus' humility is connected to obedience. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility, in other words, is not just an attitude. He humbled himself to the lowest point, and it took work, it took discipline to accomplish that. Satan tempts that discipline when he says, Jesus, there's another way. You don't have to do that. If you just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. How much discipline did this take? Jesus should have been worshipped. He had been worshipped, at least since the creation of the angels. (laughs) He should have been worshipped when he came to the earth. The angels pronounced that. And yet we come to the end of his life, and he's hanging on a tree saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. This is the Jesus whom John called the Word. He is the very expression, the Word of the Father himself. John begins his Gospel in John 1.1 and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he ends that chapter, not that John was writing in chapters, the chapter breaks weren't there, but but he ends his thought in John 1.18 by saying, No man has seen God. The only begotten God, King James Version translates it, and I think rightly so, Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. In other words, Jesus, the Son of God, came as an explanation, as the Word of God the Father. The expression of the very essence of the Father Himself. In John fourteen nine, John picks up on this theme again, because... Philip is asking this question. He, he says, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus has just told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip comes up with this statement, well, well, Jesus, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you still do not understand? He who has seen me has seen the, Father. the author of Hebrews uh, picks up on this theme and begins his letter by saying, God has spoken to us in times past in many ways through the prophets, but now he has spoken through his Son, who is the exact representation of his nature, the radiance of his glory. The Son of God is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of the Father. Jesus, in other words, is the very essence of God on display. Now, we are used to thinking of Jesus as representing the character of God. In other words, the things that Jesus did, especially the moral way he lived, represents the morality of the Father. We think of him that way because we think of Jesus as a wonderful example to follow, an example in morality, an example of character. But what if Jesus is also God's very nature being put on display? In other words, he's not only God's character, not only things that God does are being put on display, but who God is, is also being put on display. In other words, Do we think of God the Father as humble, as gentle, as self-sacrificing? What difference does all this make in a chapel at the end of the semester on discipline? Well, the difference it makes is Philippians 2.5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The difference it makes is that we are called to be like Jesus. We are called to be expressions of the character and the very nature of God himself. We are called to be like him. Now this does not mean, and I cannot stress this enough, we do not achieve the status of god we do not become god second peter chapter 1 tells us the best that we can do really is to become partakers of the divine nature participants in it but we don't become divine nature we're not gods instead we perfect the glory of God before the angels and before a crooked and perverse generation, Paul says, by becoming like Jesus. We display the glory of God by being like our Savior. How do we do this? Well, have already said it, haven't we? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's another imperative for us by disciplining ourselves to live the life of Jesus, who gave, who humbled himself, who constantly devoted himself to scripture, to prayer, to following the will of the Father. This Christmas, perhaps more times than uh, we've ever had before, because we go into it with eyes wide open, this Christmas we have the opportunity to ponder the Incarnation anew, to think about it from a theological, perhaps even a uh, universal perspective. In other words, seeing it from God's perspective and not just ours. We have an opportunity to ponder the immense beauty of humility. From the baby in a manger to the lamb upon the cross the Jesus we follow is a Jesus who came to serve and that kind of service took discipline so what will your Christmas break look like how will you do over Christmas break how disciplined are you now at the end of the semester to face going home to friends family it may not be easy it may not be easy but you've been preparing you've been readying yourself for at least 3 months now we still have a week left how will you do over christmas how can you live the humility of jesus before your family, and before your friends. You are different now. You know different things. You act differently. This really, hopefully, is your life. Jesus is your life. So I would challenge you, as you go home, remember the Incarnation. Remember the discipline of our Savior each and every day to be persistent, to do the will of God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you are gracious to give us opportunities to step outside of the Walls in which we live here at MBC, the bubble that surrounds us, and to give us opportunities to be challenged, maybe even tested on occasion. But the test and the challenge is really not the goal or the objective. Our goal is to glorify you by living the life of Jesus. And Lord, even as we have been challenged to do that here, and we have hopefully embraced doing it here, we pray that as we go home for Christmas break, that as we see old friends, as we see family, give us the strength of Jesus. Cause us to discipline our lives as Jesus did, so that people might see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Lord, that is our goal, to live for your sake, to live the life of another so that glory may be true of our existence. Lord, it's in the strength of Jesus that we pray this because we know that he has sent his Spirit to help us accomplish this. And so we ask you, give us that strength through Jesus. Amen.